Welcome to Films from the Phantom Zone, your podcast about failed and forgotten comic book movies, where we watch a forgotten superhero movie and decide, does this belong in the Phantom Zone to be forgotten for forever, or out and about for everyone to rewatch and remember fondly? My name is Ronaldo. I'm your host, and I'm joined by... Birdo. Birdo, what movie are we watching today? Which title do I say? The original title. The original, original title, or the original release title? The third out of fourth title, the second thing you said. Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we're doing the movie from 2014 called Edge of Tomorrow, but then Edge of Confusion, as Caleb is saying in the chat, because we're live on Twitch. I'll explain. Um, <laughs> watching Edge of Confusion. I'm at the Edge of Confusion right now. Seriously. Edge of Tomorrow, 2014 film starring Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt. And then when it came out on DVD, they retitled it. Sort of. So we were talking about this off stream. Yeah. Um. The movie is based on. We're gonna get to, we're gonna talk a little bit of background on this, but the movie was based on a Japanese light novel, which is like a picture book called. All you need is kill. Thank you. That title wasn't gonna work. They knew that from the get go, so they were gonna call it "Live, I Repeat," right? But then that title was like, we don't like it. They ended up on edge of tomorrow, but because this movie didn't do super well. When it kind of came out on Blu-ray, they were like, well, let's try this again. Let's switch it back to live, die, repeat, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. It's not official. Like, if you start the movie, it still says Edge of Tomorrow on the title. Yeah. So it's not like they really changed the title. All they did is change the box art. And I'm going to show everyone on stream now, and I'm going to I'm gonna link it below this it's box It's confusing. Art. Because the original poster, which I will also link below, had live, die, repeat as a tagline, which a lot of posters have. Right. You know, it's like... The Batman poster had something that Riddler said. Vengeance. Yeah, that's a tagline, right? This movie had lived I repeat as a tag. And then for the box art on the Blu-ray, they flipped it. So the words lived I repeat take up the whole fucking box. And on the very bottom, it says Cruz slash Blunt slash Edge of Tomorrow. So which is it? <laughs> exactly. That never helps. Like if you retitle the movie when it comes out on Blu-ray, people are going to be like, you know, if they don't look at these specific pictures... Like, is this the movie I watched yeah, that I liked? Exactly. They're not going to remember if they saw this movie or not, you know, six months prior or whatever. So, it's very confusing. Did not make a lot of money, unfortunately. It did make its budget back, though. Okay, Or yeah. more than its budget it, back. Apparently, so it, it made its marketing back, too. So, it did make some profit. Well, there was, like, no marketing, so... Apparently, there's $100 million in marketing. Wh- what did they do? <laughs> <laughs> they, they put up all the worst billboards that you didn't see, the I guess. The worst billboards... The marketing for this movie was terrible. Yeah. Terrible marketing. So let's start from the top. We have a set of rules that make up our selection process for uh, how we pick our movies, right? They're, and I haven't talked about them in a long time. So if, if you've been a long time listener, you might remember this. But number one, it has to be a comic book superhero film, right? Number two, it has to be a failed franchise, meaning it's out of business. They're not going to make any more of them. And number three is if it ends on its own terms. Without setting up for a failed sequel, then it passes, right? Right. This film is kind of in on a technicality, on several technicalities. Yeah. Because we just wanted to... For almost every category, it's like technically it fits it. Yeah. Kind of, we want to fluff up the show a little bit. We want more episodes. We want more movies to watch because there is a finite number of movies we can talk about, right? Right. So, number one, is this a comic book movie? Technically. Well, technically no, actually. But technically, yes. Well, here's the thing. It's not based on a manga. It's based on a Japanese light novel. That was turned into a manga. 
So yeah, sure. Yes, <laughs> it was. So that is a thing. So the difference is that a light novel is basically just a picture book. It's like a regular novel. It's written out in prose with but like the, a narrator. But there's a lot of illustrations and there's stuff. There's a lot of illustrations. Like every other page has a, a manga style illust- illustration. So it's like almost halfway there. It's like halfway there, yeah. <laughs> they're young adult novels. Quite often they're then adapted into mangas, maybe animes, maybe movies, right? Yeah. So it kind of it's almost there, right? It's almost a technicality, basically. Yeah. Uh the other thing is, is this is a superhero movie. He gets superpowers. Oh, he does have a superpower. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it totally counts. It counts. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like this uh, warrior in a mech suit. It's very Japanese when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Our next movie is going to be a weird technicality, too, for like the opposite reasons. Yes. So, And, and that's why we're doing this. We are doing a mini Tom Cruise marathon. A cruise-a-thon, if you will. <laughs> so there is a rumor that Tom Cruise might appear in an upcoming thing. I don't want to talk more about it just in case. If you know, you know, right? Yeah. So we're like, oh, cool. Let's do a, a Tom Cruise-a-thon. We're doing two Tom Cruise films back-to-back. This movie, Edge of Tomorrow, Live Therapy, and Oblivion, which is came out, I think, either the same year or one year apart. Really weird. That it these... was like close enough to where I feel like it might have affected this movie. Maybe. Two Tom Cruise sci-fi pictures. He doesn't do that many sci-fi. No, either. he doesn't. It's weird that he did two so close together. Yeah. And that movie, Oblivion, is based on a graphic novel that was just never released. It was never published. (laughs) (laughs) So the guy who made the graphic novel ended up making the movie. So that's how he got his thing out. Yeah. But the graphic novel never came out. So I don't think counts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sure. It does because because we said so. Because right. Exactly. And then the other thing, this movie, Edge of Tomorrow, has a sequel that they were going to make and they keep saying they're going to make it. And I'll believe that when I see it, because uh, the last time anyone said anything about it, it was 2019 or 2020, like before the pandemic. And they're like, yeah, we're just waiting for all the stars to align. We're waiting for Tom Cruise's schedule to line up with our schedule and Emily Blunt. And and it's going to happen. Yeah, I... The script is finished. Doug Lyman says the script is finished and everything. In 2021, Emily Blunt was like, let's be for real. It's not happening. <laughs> and then last month, I shit you not. There are rumors that this is going to be turned into like, a, I think, an Amazon Prime TV show or an HBO Max TV show. I think it was HBO Max. I remember reading that, too. Yeah. There's no way they're getting Tom Cruise in for an HBO Max show, though. No, no, not at all. <laughs> and so if it if it is going to be an HBO Max show, then it's probably a full-on reboot. Either reboot or spinoff. They're not going to... I mean, a spinoff would be fun, especially if it leads to a sequel, yeah. you know? But if I had a guess, I would say they're going to like make it a, just a complete reboot. And therefore, this is now failed. And so, it was kind of failed and forgotten from the first place. Yeah, which is weird because I don't think this movie should have failed. Cool. So this movie is available on Nowhere to Stream. You can rent it, though. It is available to rent. I happen to buy it. It's on Netflix. It's on in Netflix in Canada. Canada. Yes. If you're in Canada. Or if you have a VPN, NordVPN. <laughs> Fuck, I should have watched it on Netflix. Shit. Yeah, well, you idiot. <sighs> Berto bought this like a bozo. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what we do, we usually go through the plot, go through some background information, which we kind of already did. Um, <laughs> initial expectations. I already said plot. We're going to analyze the movie to the best of our ability. Keep or cancel, where we're going to either keep or cancel. Now, now hear me out, because we're going to talk about Tom Cruise. Right. Tom Cruise is maybe like the most interesting person alive. He's weird. So 
He might be weirder than Nick Cage. What I think, yeah, maybe. What I want to do is I want to split this up. He's more problematic. I want to split this up into two Tom Cruises, if you will. Tom Cruise number one, the actor, and Tom Cruise number two, the person slash Scientologist. Okay. And then maybe at the end of next week, we'll decide which of the two Tom Cruises wins if we were to put both Tom Cruises in a room and have them beat each other up. <laughs> Do we keep or cancel? <laughs> Ooh. So today is going to be the actor. We're going to yeah. just talk about his acting career. And then we'll decide finally if the movie belongs in the Phantom Zone to be forgotten or not. Also, a couple things I want to talk about at the top of the show. Number one, we are streaming on Twitch. We stream every episode on Twitch. You can be here distracting us in the chat every Monday, 8 o'clock Eastern Time at twitch.tv slash filmsfrompz. We have several people in the chat trying to talk to us while we try to focus. It's great. It's amazing. That's part of the fun. That's why a two-hour episode of Films from the Phantom Zone lasts five hours in the recording session because we're here on Twitch having a good time. Um, And then the last thing is we have a second bonus podcast called Where's Mephisto? Where we watch streaming television, whatever's streaming right now, and we ask, where's Mephisto? Is he in this? Probably not. Probably not. It gives us an excuse to uh, watch and talk about whatever's streaming now. Um, And that's only on our Patreon. Links below. Films from the Phantom Zone. You can find us. So first, we're doing Peacemaker, kind of retrospectively. Yeah. Most of that should already be out by now. And then Moon Knight. We're going to be talking about Moon Knight weekly as it comes out. Yep. Followed by the next thing. What's the next thing after Moon Knight? Obi-Wan. Yeah. Kenobi. Kenobi. That's yeah. like a month later, right? Yeah. It's a very loose structure <laughs> to, <laughs> to just watch the shows. And maybe Mephisto. Here's the thing. Mephisto's going to pop his ass out one of these days. And we're going to call it. Because we're calling that he's in everything. So yep. we'll be watching whatever's coming out. Whether it's Marvel, DC, Star Wars. Doesn't matter what it is. Oh, yeah. uh, and we'll be talking about all of that on Where's Mephisto. If that sounds fun to you, if you like us and you would like to support the show, help us go and help us pay for all this equipment. We would appreciate that so much. And that is on our Patreon. Are you ready to move on? Yes. Cool. Usually we would do the background right now, but we actually in the intro talked a lot about this movie already. How it's a light novel. Yeah. <laughs> and how it was called... Uh, all you need is kill. All you need is kill. You know the other problem with that in a Western audience? The association with the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. I think that would make it like somewhat more interesting you of think? a title. I don't know. Because it gets the song stuck in my head. That's all. Uh, well, it's like a uh, weird association, you know? Yeah. So here's something else on the background I, I did want to mention. Uh, this got several scripts. Like several completely different scripts? Yeah, it got rewritten a, a bunch of times. Huh. The studio hired Doug Lyman to direct that script. Okay, so that script was then rewritten by... They approached Brad Pitt to star. He declined, then they approached Tom Cruise. That's interesting. Huh. Uh, once Cruise accepted that script changed the age of the leading role to fit the actors. Excuse me, they're like the same age. Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt might be like... Yeah. That's weird. Well, maybe that's why they made him a major. Mm. Okay, and here we go. A screenwriter duo... Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman also delivered a draft of their own. I'm assuming that one wasn't used. No, because then screenwriter Simon Kinberg, who is best known for making a lot of X-Men movies, Mm -hmm. Simon Kinberg takes over and then he's replaced by Christopher McQuarrie, the writer-director, right? Who was working on Jack Reacher with Tom Cruise. Oh. Because he's a director. He's also directing. He's the one directing the new uh, Mission Impossible movies. 
Which is basically what Jack Reacher was. I think Cruise probably brought him. Remember, Tom Cruise is also always like a producer on everything he does. Yeah. And he's a pretty smart producer, judging by like how a lot of his movies in the last like decade have been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, or they work for the right reasons. He he understands. He kind of gets it. He gets movies, even yeah. though he doesn't get much else, I think. We'll talk about <laughs> it a lot next week. So Cruise apparently stressed the importance of the story's humor to Macquarie, and that kind of led to the screenplay that we got. Okay. But it's just kind of funny that went through so many writers, and it could have been an Orsi and Kurtzman script, and it wasn't. Oh, I wonder, oh, they would have gone crazy with the special blood. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh, no, special blood, magic blood. They and would have been knows? like, oh, yeah, this is passed down through my family from an ancient <laughs> civilization. Well, here's the thing. How do we know that that's not the one element that survived their pass on the script, you know? Well, I guess, uh, well, if we haven't read the source material, we don't know. Yeah, because that's the thing. Oh, wait, no, I think it's in the source material. Hold on. Let me look real quick. <laughs> Just says, through some in- inexplicable phenomenon, he wakes up and finds out he's returned to the so same concept is just not ma- as specific. The magic blood that could totally be something Whoa. kept over from Orsi and Kurtzman. It did work in this movie though for the role that it played. Yeah, it works just fine. But yeah. like, but you know, if they had written this movie ten minutes after it's over, you would have been like, "What the fuck did I just watch?" Because <laughs> that's how all their movies work. Okay, cool. That's all I got on background. Initial expectations. Do you remember seeing this movie? Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer and I was like, that looks like an interesting movie. And then I think I just went with a few friends from work and we just watched it and I was pleasantly surprised. I wasn't like hyped for the movie or anything. I was just like, that looks interesting. I don't think I even knew what this was before I saw it. I went in on blind watch. I was just like, let's go see this, I guess. (laughs) But I didn't know what the twist was. Like, I didn't know the premise of this. So when it happened, I was like, oh, this is this is fun. Like, this is a movie. That if you don't know what like the twist of the premise, it's not really a twist in the beginning of the movie. What the premise is, it might work best if you just don't know. Yeah. You know? And that's why I kind of like Edge of Tomorrow better because he's always on the edge of tomorrow, but he can't quite get there, right? If he keeps dying. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway. Maybe. I remember the main kind of gist of it, but it's nice because it, it, it felt like watching it all over again and I, and I quite enjoyed the experience. So... All right, let's get into it. A news report montage shows that a meteor hit Germany and unleashed an alien invasion, which quickly conquered Europe. Major William Cage, played by Tom Cruise, (laughs) a PR officer whose experience lies solely in advertising and not combat, publicly introduces the jacket technology, a mech suit that requires minimal training and will turn the tides of the war. They also report on Sergeant Rita Vitrasky, Emily Blunt, who has been heralded a hero and nicknamed the Angel of Verdun, but also Full Metal Bitch. <laughs> this movie does what a lot of like movies also do at the beginning with like the news reels and stuff, just kind of explaining what's going on. Yeah. But like in this movie, it didn't feel annoying or anything like that because uh-huh. I felt like I was actually learning about what was happening. I don't know. There's something about the way it was done felt fine. I know we've made fun of like this, like uh, yeah, but. Okay, I made fun of this, for example, most recently in The Batman. But in the, right. the Batman does it a lot to just kind of like continue moving the story a, a little bit. Okay. When I feel like if you're just going to like set up the main premise of the film and then that's it, I think that's perfectly fine. It's very similar to like an opening crawl. You yeah. know, we're just kind of like, hey, here's what's going on. This background information is necessary. However, it'd be a waste of time to like really delve into it because that's not where the story is. 
This you is know? just the world that this takes place. Exactly. This is the state of the world. Exactly. Yeah. So for that reason, I'm like, that's perfectly fine. Like, the story is not, hey, there's an alien invasion happening. Right. It's Tom Cruise is stuck in a time loop. Yeah. And and that's the where alien the invasion is the backdrop. Yeah, exactly. So it's perfectly okay in that sense, right? Major Cage. That's kind of funny. Major Cage is kind of funny. Uh, Major Cage arrives in London at the request of General Brigham. The United Defense Force, a coalition of all the nation's military forces, are planning Operation Downfall, a large-scale attack that starts with a D-Day storming the beaches of Normandy. He wants Cage to attend to sell the invasion on the news. Cage scoffs at the idea of putting himself in harm's way, but the general is insistent on putting him in a jacket and on the front lines. Cage refuses, saying that he does not report to the general, but the general has been granted authority from the U.S. Army. As a last resort, Cage threatens to blackmail Brigham, and Brigham has him arrested. So, this confuses me Why? (laughs) Why do they want him on the front lines so bad? I don't understand. What what do they gain by having one more body there as cannon fodder? I have no idea. And I've heard no good explanation for this. And... Like I get the like they want somebody filming it, okay, but like they could have anybody. Yeah, don't uh, put an officer on the front lines. This is illegal, surely, right? Like, well, what both of them did was illegal. But you can't just like have someone you don't like murdered in like a war. That's a war crime, right? Surely, <laughs> like, and I get, and you know, Philly the J in the chat's like, I have no idea how military ranks work. I don't either. I'm not in the military. Not like this, but like. What is going on? This is... Let's move on. I'm gonna, I want to double back here because <laughs> I'm I'm really trying to wrap my head around why this would happen because he what's, doesn't even what's seem... What's the reasoning? He doesn't seem like a bad guy either. No. He's good at what he does and what he does is like advertising. Yeah. He does propaganda for the military. And I feel like if... Because he, he's given an honorary title, like a rank. Which right. a lot of people are. Well, he said he joined after ROTC. So he joined the military as an officer. So he's a full-on, like, officer. But even then, like... Like, he's actually a major in the... Yeah, yeah, Let's double back here. Uh, <laughs> Cage wakes up on a military base by a drill sergeant repeatedly calling him Maggot. He tries to pull rank, but is met by Master Sergeant Farrell, who has orders to treat him like a deserter caught impersonating an officer and will under no circumstance allow him private... Private cage to avoid combat duty he recites good news is there's hope for you yet private hope in the form of glorious combat battle is the great redeemer the fiery crucible which only the true heroes are forged the one place where all men truly share the same rank regardless of what kind of parasitic scum they were going in he does so oh well oh my this god role. so that's bill paxton uh, playing like rest in peace he was amazing yeah playing this like kentucky Corn fed, born and bred, like <laughs> brainwashed. No, he is like a, a stereotypical drill sergeant. This is absolutely a, a lot of this is full metal jacket references. Yeah. This guy is like everything that's wrong with the military. <laughs> right? It's a lot of it's he's brainwashing. Like, yeah, we're all gonna go and die. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, it's glorious combat, the great redeemer. Now here's my problem with this. Is Tom Cruise's character, is is William Cage? Is he a bad guy? Why um, do they... Like, what's the justification well, for doing this? Well, as far as everybody in the space knows, he's just a deserter. No, but why does... nobody likes that. Okay, and first of all, also in the chat, great point. Bill Paxton's character, 
Master Sergeant <laughs> Pharrell from Kentucky, he's asked, oh, you're American. And he says, no, sir, I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> Uh, which is a great line that either said, obviously he knows that's an America. He just doesn't care about anything. This motherfucker has to say to him. Right. Beautiful. <laughs> Cause you see, you see Tom Cruise sort of rolling his eyes. He's like thinking about like, what is wrong with this person? Yeah. It reminded me of, uh, an infinity war. He's like, you're from earth. He's like, no, I'm from Missouri. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's like, this is so illegal. Like the general just can't. It would work a little bit better for me, I think, if I knew what his justification could possibly be. That's one of the parts where jumping into it may not have been good. Like, if we got a little more background on Cage, like, maybe he was, like, scummy or something. I think the movie would have had to establish that he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Because, like, how far does this conspiracy go? Because like, I get not liking Tom Cruise, sure, but, like, everyone is complicit in his attempted murder. Like, so illegal. There's nothing to establish that he's a piece of shit. Like, he's a bad guy. Uh, <laughs> and I would understand if he was, like, some scummy guy and they were trying to punish him. Like, if he did something to oh, the I general. Think after the blackmail, it became punishment. It Clearly, it was punishment beforehand, though. And even at the blackmail part, I, do, I cannot blame Tom Cruise for that. Or Cage. Like, he's sent in to die. And it's clear as day. Yeah, they don't even teach him how to use the mech suit well that's the thing it's like he's again, running if, around yelling how do i turn off my safety if he was a bad guy i would understand the character arc where it's like he's a bad guy he gets thrown in the equivalent of like jail basically uh -huh. where he's gonna die and then as the movie progresses he becomes skilled and he learns everything he needs to learn and his character arc is complete and he becomes a good person and he saves people and he saves the day he becomes a superhero but in the beginning of the movie he's just a dude yeah. Like, he's neither he, he's good nor bad. He's a little bit bad. of a coward, but, like, that's... But who a, wouldn't be? In that situation, you're right, who wouldn't like, be? Like, if you, if you haven't been properly trained and you haven't been, like, properly brainwashed to, like, go fight these aliens <laughs> or, or whatever, but, like... A little bit of Starship Troopers there, too. A little bit, yeah. That's a good movie. Um, that's a great movie. But he's just kind of a PR bullshit douchebag. Like, that's not enough justification for everyone in the chain of command to be complicit and being like, yeah, let's murder this fucking guy. Because, <laughs> again, this man, the sergeant, doesn't question the orders. He's like, no, I've been told he's a deserter, and therefore he is, what does he call him? Parasitic scum. He's a parasitic scum, and the only way of redeeming himself is in glorious combat. That's what this man truly believes. He doesn't know it's a lie. Right. He just he, believes it. But, like, this general has falsified tons of records, has decided, fuck this guy in particular. The I'm general's gonna, a bad guy. Because I'm going to send him into a war where I know he's going to die. Like, there's no questioning it. To be fair, he did say that the invasion should be, there should be minimal um... casualties. Not minimal casualty, minimal resistance. Yeah, so they think, and that's so a they plot. think, and they actually did think so, but that's a plot point later on in the movie. But yeah. like, again, at the time, I just don't see how this man would just be like, "I don't like you because you're not a real like army guy, like you're just a PR." Look, that's his like, job, though. Yeah, that he's just doing his fucking job, and I think he's doing a pretty good job at it because everyone is supporting your jacket bullshit. And he says that to him. Exactly. <laughs> and he offers his help to make him like a fucking uh, a book. He's like uh, going to make him a, a memoir. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's go to the chat. <laughs> uh, I understand that Pharrell is also brainwashed, but his speech sounds like it was written by someone who has never 
been in combat. I th- I get the impression that like he has and he fucking loves it. Like he's he's psycho. He's a psycho, and that's what gives his life like meaning. So he's also like, Bill Paxton was so amazing in like ridiculous roles like this. He does so much and so little. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. Let's move on because we barely started the movie. <laughs> we're we're like stuck in this conspiracy with Tom Cruise. I and... know, but it's it's <laughs> fascinating, and I think it's one of the only weaknesses in this whole movie. Yeah, and it's really fucked up. It's super fucked up. The J Squad suit up in their jackets and refuse to assist Cage in any way, including telling him how to disengage his safety. Jesus fucking Christ. They march onto their dropships and joke that Cage will die in minutes. The dropship gets hit by a missile, and not all soldiers make it to the beach. The battlefield is hectic. Many of the J-Squad die quickly around Cage, who still hasn't a clue on how to disengage his safety, much less operate his weapons. Cage witnesses the famous Rita Vertasky kill Mimics with a sword before she's killed herself. He's round up by Master Sergeant Farrell and what's left of J-Squad, who are astonished the enemy knew that they were coming. Just then, a hidden Mimic kills the squad. Cage disables the safety and shoots it dead. A large blue Mimic appears with more Mimics. Hidden from sight, Cage grabs a Claymore mine and detonates it while attacked by the blue Mimic. They both die, and Cage is splattered in its blood. He awakens in the exact place he started the previous day. His first death here is super, like, brutal. The blood's, like, burning him and stuff. And Yeah. Well, it gives him the superpowers. It kind of, yeah. It's like acid blood. Yeah. Which is a fun trope, aliens with acid blood. <laughs> a lot here. It was just, like, one big scene. Yeah, there is a lot of a, I mean... There's a lot of foreshadowing in this entire sequence, too, especially when uh, he's being introduced to J-Squad, when he talks about, like, uh, fate being in your own hands and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. I thought this sequence was great. It's like a slightly toned-down version of the Saving Private Ryan D-Day scene. Mm -hmm. I thought it's... It's nowhere near as brutal as that, but... It's it's a little poetic that this would be a D-Day scenario. They're like, all right, let's storm the beaches of Normandy. It might be partly this PR stunt, because... Storming the beaches of Normandy is what we were taught. Turn the tides of World and that's War why they II. wanted to film it. Yeah, exactly. And so I like that bit. The action is superb. Yeah, in all of this, this is all incredible. This is so fun to watch, and it's easy to follow what's happening. Yeah, it's very much through his perspective. Yeah, and he's freaking the fuck out because people are exploding, dying left and right. And there's he still doesn't eight, know how to shoot. There's fucking aliens all over the place, and I love that. Up until this point in the movie, we know barely anything about these aliens. Yeah. And we finally get to kind of see him and you learn very slowly like what their deal is, but it's good stuff. And then um like oh I think there's something wrong with the suit. Yeah, there's a dead man in it. <laughs> and then he's just like he's still screaming, "How do I turn off the safety? How do I turn off the And then it explodes like, "Oh my god." <laughs> <laughs> he finally figures it out on accident in a different language. Yeah. Cuz he's just like button mashing and it finally like unlocks. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me, because I do want to talk about later about why they're called Mimics. It feels like that's a spoiler. Like, you would have to know what the movie is in order to name them Mimics. You know, because they end up mimicking each day. Yeah. But they didn't know that. It's weird that they call them Mimics, because in, like, most, like, fantasy or sci-fi settings, like, a Mimic is something that, like, pretends to be an object or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ah, it tricks you. And I've kind of forgot. I think both times watching this movie, I assume maybe they're, they shapeshift a little bit. They don't. I, they, they like, come out of the ground. I mean, they hide. They burrow. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's just their name. So they were called mimics in the Japanese source material. 
But even then, it's like translated. So who knows? Maybe that wasn't like their original. Yeah. CGI uh, pointing out in the chat here. Um, fantastic for them too. They look amazing. They they, they really do, do look good. They look real, but they also don't stand still long enough for you to really like examine them. Yeah, they're like tentacle squiddy. Yeah, spidery guys. Yeah, Cage runs by one of them like slamming a guy into the ground repeatedly. Oh yeah, you know they kind of behave a lot like the symbiote, like the venom. A little bit, symbiote. yeah, yeah. Oh, this is when we're in a Groundhog's Day. We're in a Groundhog's Day, people. Oh, yeah, this is where he it wakes starts. Up. Um, I did write down that he stares at the camera when he says, like, you might think this is ironic, my sense of f- notion of fate. Yeah. This whole movie is about what your notion of fate is, because you get to relive it and change it. It's kind of like a wink nudge type yeah. thing. So I like that he kind of, like, stares the camera down when he does that. All right. Confused about why he's reliving the morning in almost the same exact way, he reacts differently as he's introduced to the J-Squad and ponders the Master Sergeant's notion that they are masters of their fate. That's when he kind of like looks off. He's like, I've, this is fucking... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, once again, he's strapped in his suit and dropped on the beach. Remembering the details from the fight, he saves Rita, but at the expense of his own life, the loop starts again. She, she leaves him to die. <laughs> yeah. She takes his battery or something. He's like, you taking like, my battery? Why, why did yep. you take my battery? Because <laughs> she's like, there's a hole in your chest. And he goes, really? <laughs> <laughs> looks down. There's a giant hole burning in his fucking chest. So every Groundhog's Day movie has to set his own rules. So it's like a time travel movie. You have to like set your own unique rules. Yeah. Varies from movie to movie. This one about that you have to die. And we kind of mentioned this earlier. I don't remember if we mentioned it in a part where we're going to cut out or not. So he has to die. And he starts at the same exact day to play. And I say play because it's a video game trope. To start all over again. Yeah, uh, it's like loading up a checkpoint in a video game. Yeah. Yeah. And you start to learn what everyone does. And that's part of the game experience. And and I think we talked about this sort of when we were talking about Spider-Man the game. That like the last level is the easiest. Because the game doesn't want you to do it over and over again. It's going to kind of dilute the story. Yeah. You, it wants you to just do it once. And then, boom, it's game's over. Mm-hmm. So diluting the story would be i think this movie and we're gonna talk about it does a really good job of telling like a cohesive story even though the characters reliving the same shit to a monotonous degree yeah well it knows when to like not show things yeah like it knows when to be like all right i've done this before because we're not seeing every attempt he has at doing something we're usually just seeing the part that works and moves him a little bit further right exactly yeah. the differences the little bits and i think that's done very well and i'm not to go into another tangent, but Groundhog's Day apparently lasts 30 years. Uh, how long does the life of Tom Cruise... Sorry. How long does this last in the life of Tom Cruise to completely memorize the path of the battle? Unclear, but probably a very long time. He might have been... So there's another Groundhog's Day movie, which I like to not talk about because I don't want to spoil it because I think that movie works super well if you have no idea what it is. But in that movie, which I <laughs> won't say still, I guess... <laughs> He doesn't even remember how long he's been there. It's it's been centuries, maybe. No shit. And he's just like he hasn't. He barely remembers his life before the loop. So, got like fuck. <laughs> Later on, I think Rita says like she did it like at least three hundred times. So I, almost a year. I imagine he's probably doing this for like a year or two. Uh, I'm gonna guess longer because he really? dies a lot of stupid deaths. <laughs> but I mean, the day's only as long as he survives. Right. How many times do you think he died? But the thing is, he doesn't die until day two, no matter what. Yeah. Well, so he lives through day one. There's that one part where he scenario. gets run over by the truck. 
Oh, except yeah, 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 except for that. Actually, part. he gets killed a lot of times on the on the military base, still just trying to meet up with her. Hundred sixtieth. Uh, who are you referring to, Philly? You're talking about um this one, this movie, because I feel like we see hundred sixty deaths, uh, and that doesn't count the ones that are just mentioned. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I don't know if it ever says in the movie though how long. It I, is. I don't think it does, but I would. By the way, he knows so much. I imagine it's been so many more than that. It also brings me to that little uh, time loop in Doctor Strange. I always wondered how many times Doctor Strange died yeah. there. Could have been a century, for yeah. all you know. And that's uh, why he's so good now at magic. <laughs> yeah. On the third morning, he terrifies everyone by knowing their names and predicting their actions like a deranged psychic. They respond by taping his mouth shut before strapping him into his suit. Stuck in this loop and dying over and over and over again, he learns his way around the battlefield, once again saving and guiding Rita through battle. She recognizes his special ability and asks him to find her when he wakes up and willingly dies. thought that was kind of hardcore. She's just like, come find me, drops all her weapons, dies. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Apparently there's an argument because he becomes such a good soldier, it would be at least five years. Yeah, I... I feel like he was there for a while. Like he, he at one point he's able to draw out the movements of every single mimic, and then later on in the movie he does the same thing for like a new scenario. Because there's so many times where they change up their objectives, and then he has to learn everything in that new location. You know, yeah, that's like a new stage of the and game. And he'll be like, no matter how many times I try to do this, this happens. Yeah, and, yeah. When they're infiltrating the building, he's like counting everyone's steps. Yeah, I wonder how many times he infiltrated the building. Yeah. Uh, he wakes up this time approaching his morning differently by openly agreeing and being willingly obedient. He fashions an escape plan that gets him killed the first time before ultimately getting away to find Rita. <laughs> he introduces himself and she correctly assumes that he died killing a blue mimic and getting covered in its blood, admitting she had the same gift but lost it. She leads him into a basement where a scientist explains the mimics. The individual mimics are led by alphas, big blue ones like the one Cage killed. The swarm is led by an Omega, who serves as a central consciousness for the hive mind. The Omega has the ability to reset the day if an Alpha is killed. Using the information learned in multiple resets, the Mimic army has the potential to conquer planets with ease. By killing the Alpha and having it bleed onto Cage as he was dying, it's given Cage the same power. The Omega will want to find Cage, so Cage will have visions as he nears it. Their plan is to find the Omega and kill it, utilizing Cage's resurrective abilities. Rita urges him to die in the event of serious injury, for in her case, she was injured and sent to a hospital where she was given foreign blood and lost the Alpha's abilities. Oof, that was a lot. It does a very good job setting up the rules, though, here. I did like this. As far as info dumps go, this wasn't bad. This was pretty no, good. No, not at all. And then it kind of ups the stakes a bit where it's like, you better make sure you die every day because... <laughs> And also, that part happens later. Like this, there's like a training montage, and she explains that like halfway through the montage. After he gets killed yeah. multiple times, gets his back broken. Oh like. yeah. <laughs> and earlier in the movie, I kind of questioned like, well, Rita, how did you know that you lost it if you didn't die? And later on in the movie, it's like I can feel that I don't have it anymore. Right. And the blood transfusion makes perfect sense. Yeah. So maybe this magic blood concept actually served the plot. <laughs> <laughs> It helps that, like, this isn't all new information, too. The info dump, like, you already knew these creatures. You had seen them a bunch. Yeah, and you picked up that he was in a time loop, I'm sure. Obviously. (laughs) So, like, if this happened in the beginning of the movie, because we've seen movies where, like, 
they tell you way too much up front and you spend the whole movie kind of confused because you forgot all of it because it doesn't make sense when it's just kind of like spoon fed to you in, in a paragraph you're like well hold on a second like like movies where it's like all right there's these four factions or these people these people these people and all of them have and you're like what no can i live it can you show it to me you know <laughs> show don't tell please this whole like info dump also feels like there's a lot of good things like set up here like just mm-hmm. like you know the concept with like the you know don't get the foreign blood in you yeah because that'll fuck everything up you know obviously we've realized by now but like dying reset resets the cycle like all the rules are set here and like there's a lot of stuff set up here that does have a payoff later yeah almost everything set up in this movie has a payoff oh absolutely Cage begins a new loop of escaping his squad, introducing himself to Rita, training until he gets injured, and subsequently shot in the head by Rita multiple times. She's training him. It's fine. (laughs) It's not murder. (laughs) He suggests transferring his power to her by way of blood transfusion or sex, but she shoots him down, saying she's tried it all. How many times? (laughs) How many times? (laughs) Um... That was funny. <laughs> it, it was funny. <laughs> uh, the next time he dies, he has visions of the Omega's location under a bunker in the mountains. They have their new objective and training is over. So this is a great way to shoot down the notion, literally, that the two attractive leads must fall in love. Except let's also keep watching the movie. <laughs> but that's kind of how I read this scene where it's like, oh, are they going to start liking each other? And she's like, no. <laughs> he still likes her. <laughs> Maybe. But that's the thing, and we talked about it off air, but like he is becoming more attached to her because he's spending a lot of time with her. And he keeps uh, watching her die. And that's going to take a toll on him. Yeah. Whereas she has known this man for a few hours each time. Each time, yeah. <laughs> She's got like a memory issue by way of his time traveling. It's not her fault. No, it's no one's fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, these are fun montages, though, I think. All the training stuff. Yeah. It's a good way to kind of have fun with it and also show that he is learning. For sure. The new loop involves getting through the battlefield on the beach. Each new day, they write out their strategy and Cage teaches her the battleground. After witnessing Rita die multiple times, Cage takes a break one day and escapes the base to get a drink at a pub where he's called a coward by old war vets. Because <laughs> everyone's at war. London's like empty. Yeah. Uh, he walks out into a nearly empty London to see hundreds of mimics swimming up the Thames River who kill him. And this is kind of where he discovers that, okay. There's stakes. Yeah. I think that's like London's going to fall if we don't win yeah. tomorrow. It's unclear what day this is. I think it's while he was supposed to be on the beach. On the beach. Right? Yeah. yeah. I like the idea that he's like, I've got as many days as I want. Yeah. I can take a break. And then when he's talking to someone at the bar, he's like, I'm usually dead by now. (laughs) And they're all, yeah, because they're criticizing him for being like a young, healthy man who's not fighting the war. He's like the only one that isn't. Right. (laughs) I mean, if I was in this time loop, I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be like, you know, I need like multiple days. I need like at least one day off a week. Can I have a drink at least? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I totally get it. And it is a little bit of downtime. We were mentioning in the Peacemaker episode on Where's Mephisto we were talking about. I like when a character goes to a bar because it is like, at least narratively speaking, it's like when they're kind of vulnerable, they're there to kind of wind down and decompress after like whatever the plot's thrown their way, you know? Yeah. And so this is when he's kind of like, he's beat the fuck up mentally at this point. <laughs> like he, he has no current injuries. He's not in pain, but like it's taken a mental toll on him. Like all of this watching people around him die, especially someone he's getting attached to. 
and then dying yourself immediately afterwards. Yeah. And not only that, imagine like the mental exhaustion of like memorizing like these steps over and over and over and then like fighting a war every single day. Like, yeah. This is a much needed kind of breather, not just like story wise, but like it makes sense for this character to like want to go to a bar and just like fuck today. I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> like, I'll just worst case scenario, I'll put a bullet in my head, start again tomorrow. Yeah. Which I mean he uh he gets killed by mimics anyway, so Yeah. <laughs> Man, this guy just cannot survive the day. Well, I mean they're taking over the war the world. <laughs> I like when uh after a while he's like just looking at Rita like, God, like you're gonna die many more times like in front of me. She's like, You got anything on my face? Like Fuck off. And he just goes like, no. <laughs> He's just traumatized. But then she kind of looks at him like kind of weird because uh-huh. I guess she notices his face. Well, later on, it's revealed that she had the same experience with someone else. Right. She had a partner in the war. Obviously, like every time she dies, he, she probably saw him die too. So Yeah. Cage and Rita perfect their training and get past the beach, steal a car, and head for Germany. She hears on the radio that London is under siege, a fact that Cage was hiding from her. On the drive, Cage reveals that she eventually talks to him, but she is reluctant to get to know each other after she watched a fellow soldier die over 300 times. That's what I'll say. The car and the jackets run out of gas and battery power, and they are left on foot. They find a farmhouse and a helicopter, but Cage insists that they take it slow, against Rita's suggestions of shooting Cage and starting over. I love how she just pulls the gun on him. She's like, nah, right. fuck it, let's do this again. <laughs> he's like, calm down. He's like, wait... Cage makes her coffee and accidentally reveals that they've done this before. He doesn't want to speed through because in every iteration, once they get to the helicopter, Rita dies. Cage argues that they try it differently. She wait in the cellar while he continues because there's no other way she'll stay alive. She starts the helicopter anyway. The mimics attack and she dies. And as she dies, she admits her real middle name is Rose. My only problem here is how the fuck do they fit in the cars with the fucking mech suits on? It looked like they like barely fit in it. (laughs) Because they literally got into the car, but, like, how? You know, like, when you forget you're wearing a backpack and you sit down and you're like, God damn it. Yeah. (laughs) It's like that, but times 10. (laughs) Much Mm. less, like, drive it. Like, are your hands that free? I don't know. Huh. They're because they're both wearing their jackets in the car. Yeah. In the chat, someone has a problem with this scene. Hmm. Let's see. His issues start with the small town. I hate the keys in the sun visor trope in movies. Don't they hotwire the car or they know they find the keys? They find the key was in the sun visor. Oh, I think that's okay. a thing people did in real life, though. It is a trope in movies, though, but you got to start the car somehow. You're not going to waste time anyway. Then we have the good, oh, good, we're safe. Oh, shit, we're not trope. Then we're, I mean, that's just storytelling. <laughs> then we get to the farmhouse. Uh, and for me, this movie stopped dead. As I said earlier, I started uh, wanting to look at my phone. I started getting bored fast. The movie goes from 100 miles per hour. Thanks for using miles per hour so we understand. uh, (laughs) To five in about three minutes flat. I don't need the characters to be emotionally attached. I don't need the don't fall in love with me. I'm not good for you trope. And I don't need him trying to get to know her because he is getting all lovey-dovey with the girl that has killed him a thousand times. Um... I didn't have a problem with this. I don't think I agree I think, with you. Yeah. I think the movie needed a break. It was it was going too fast at this point. Yeah, this is a nice break in the action because it is, as well as this movie tells kind of this iterative story narratively. Yeah, you need to take you need to slow it down and take a break here. They do the same thing in uh, Age of Ultron at a farmhouse. There's a lot of farmhouse bit. That's the trope. That's it's going the to the farmhouse. farmhouse. Is the trope. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
breaking the farmhouse. I don't think this is also a don't fall in love with me. I'm not good enough for you trope because I don't think they're falling in love at all. Like I don't read this and we're going to talk about this later is like, is this a romantic relationship? I think he just cares about her. I think in times of war, when your life is on the line every single day and you're witnessing death all the time, everything's meaning changes. And I think, Developing a relationship with somebody, romantic or platonic, is different. And I feel like he at least has some solace and some attachment to this person who has been fighting with him this entire time. And for him, it's probably been like a year by now. She is literally all he has. No friends, no family. Yeah, no rank. Nothing, yeah. (laughs) No phone call. (laughs) No phone call. By the way, that only worked because they denied him his phone call. Otherwise, I'm sure he could have been like, this is illegal. Not to go back on to that, but so I, I really just see him as him trying to prevent her from dying again, because although it doesn't hurt her and it doesn't really mean she's dead, it's probably painful to watch. Yeah, especially since this is somebody that you are getting to know, like, yeah, he's pushing a little bit. He wants to know more about her. But I think it's because I, I don't see it's it romantically. This, this I think is... he's just like in need of a friend. <laughs> Like, again, this is another he needs a break. It's been another series of events. He's probably reiterated a hundred more times. Yeah. You know, he needs to stop and, and just like, can we just sit and talk to each other for a minute? And she's like, no, it's day two for her. So she doesn't feel the same level of exhaustion as he does. Mm-hmm. And he has no one else to talk to, whereas she has a ton of people who love her. Right. Probably. Like, yeah, they're all. She has a platoon of people that fucking follow her around, and she's got the scientists and whatever. All I'm saying is, like, I feel like this is him trying to take another break and just try to talk and get to know someone. It's like, you know, it's like when you're at your seventh or eighth hour in your job, you're like, God damn it! Like, so what do you do for fun? Oh, you over there? Like, talk to me for a minute, you know? I don't get that luxury at work. <laughs> oh my god! The next day, instead of involving Rita at all. Cage decides to go alone. He gets to the helicopter, all the way to Germany and into the bunker, where he encounters an Alpha. Cage tries shooting himself in the head, but the Alpha stops him. He escapes, hides, and drowns anyway. The <laughs> what a Ome- painful way to go. I know, that's probably the worst of all his deaths. Uh, the Omega was never there, and the visions were a trap to lure him there and take his blood back. The scientist responds that he had made a device to hack an alpha and locate the Omega, but the prototype is kept in the British Ministry of Defense. Their new objective is to infiltrate it. So, all right. The device he's talking about, is that the same device that Rita was holding yeah. earlier? Earlier, she was like, let's just fucking do this. And he's, he's like, like no. And then he goes, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Was that just like another version of it? I think it's the same one. But how would it have gotten to the British Ministry of Defense? That's a good question, actually. I'm thinking he was trying to make like a copy. I think of it. he's trying to make another one. Yeah. yeah, but the only one that he couldn't make because she's about to stab him. He's like, "What the hell is that?" Yeah. <laughs> the scientist is like, "That doesn't work." <laughs> uh, most apocalyptic movies, you should listen to the scientists. They're usually right. Yeah, like first off, in any post-apocalyptic anything, or even like just current apocalyptic anything, in movies or fiction in general, the military always has the wrong response to everything. Like, that in itself has become, like, a trope. 
The military is always wrong and the scientists are always right in every movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the military guy is always like, I'm, I want to blow it up. Nuke it. Fucking Go- nuke it. Godzilla? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Independence Day? Independence Day. Day After Tomorrow? They're all the same. Avengers? That was yeah. the military. That was the World Security Council, but <laughs> fucked up. Here's the other thing, too. Like, if she, you know, if he goes on alone and he doesn't talk to her, she still dies on the beach. Like, she's going to die no matter what. But I guess he's not involved. <laughs> he doesn't see it. Yeah. And I guess he's okay with that. And I mean, also, like, he could explore all kinds of different possibilities without her involved. Maybe he just accepted that fate was not in their hands. <laughs> <laughs> Rita and Cage infiltrate the ministry after he's learned every step of every soldier. They find the general and explain everything. The general gives him the device after being mostly convinced of their story. While escaping from the guards and police, Cage sticks the device into his leg. Actually, Rita does that. <laughs> uh, Rita sticks the device into his leg, and he sees the real visions of the Omega's location. It's buried under the Louvre. Their escape car crashes, and Cage wakes up in a medical ward after being given a blood transfusion. And the stakes are instantly raised. <laughs> oh my god, are they ever. This was such a smart move for this movie. Because just when you're getting comfortable with this, going like, okay, he can infiltrate it, like this building. He knows the step of every person because he's done this like 50 times, 100 times or whatever. I like when he whatever. tells her to not shoot the general again. He's <laughs> like, no, don't shoot him again. <laughs> that was great. Um, you as the viewer are like, okay, cool. He can do anything. This is an amazing superpower. Like, It's not an amazing superpower for him because it's very repetitive and boring and monotonous. It's an amazing superpower for the story because... He can succeed at everything, basically. Yeah. Because he can redo it over and over and over and over again. And then just when you get comfortable with that notion, it's taken from him. Yep. It's such a smart transition into a third act because he has to go into this new battlefield next and he has no idea what's in store for them. And he's in danger from like not just the mimics, but from the military too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it becomes kind of like a thriller at this point. Oh, yeah. Also, why would the Omega bury itself under the world's most recognizable museum? Yeah, it was flooded. <laughs> Nobody was using it. He should just like go out into a field like where no one will ever find you. Having lost his power, he and Rita become more careful and recruit the J-Squad. They hijack a dropship and reestablish the rules of the universe to both the squad and the audience. <laughs> Do not kill an Alpha or else a day is reset and they lose. Over a post-apocalyptic Paris, they're shot down. The remaining squad members decide to sacrifice themselves to create a diversion. They pilot a grounded dropship to skirt along the flooded city like an airboat and barely make it to the Louvre's glass pyramid entrance. Rita and Cage make it down to the basement levels of the Louvre as they are stalked by an Alpha. Rita plans on distracting it so Cage may kill the Omega. Recognizing it's a suicide mission, she kisses Cage and says goodbye, wishing she had gotten to know him outside of the war. Cage swims down to the Omega, but is stabbed as soon as he drops a belt full of grenades. The Omega explodes, and its blood engulfs Cage. I like how when he originally drops the grenades, the Alpha's just like, all right, so? And then he shows that he was holding the pins. Mm. Like he pulled all the pins. That was fun. (laughs) That's a trope, but I like that trope. (laughs) So to start my issues here at the Louvre, it's 119 miles from the coast of France. How's it flood? There's a river. All of France is flooded. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, Paris is on a river, the scene. 
Uh, who knows if uh, there's there's a dam somewhere? Like I, I mean, I wouldn't overthink it. Uh, it's also I mean, not that flooded. It's like I mean, it's like it a few looks feet. like. I mean, the they entire, were walking in it. Yeah, but the entire like almost the entire Louvre is underwater though. The Louvre is partially underground. Oh, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Like there's several levels underground. Um, Here. it looked um flooded in the sense of like the whole thing looked like marshland though. Like, a lot of it was, like, you know, maybe, like, knee-deep water yeah, like across knee-deep. all of Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could also be, you know, a result of the alien attack. Who knows? Maybe, some, I don't know. I wouldn't overthink it. The helicarrier crashes through the Arc de Triomphe. <laughs> and Tom Cruise should definitely be dead. <laughs> There's a lot of times where a lot of characters should be dead, first of all. I like how, and after that, he just looks at Rita's like, we've been through worse. Uh, but Vitaski doesn't bring her sword, despite melee weapons seeming to be very effective against... Did she not bring her sword? I don't think she had. Well, the thing is. Oh, she had it to begin with. Here's the thing. Here's go. the thing. She may have had it. But by the time that they land in Paris, they specifically say what weapons they have left. And it's like half a magazine of this, a little bit of that. They have one working mech suit. And that's it. This is the same timeline where they got captured, too. And like they were in captivity for a little bit. That's when he got the blood transfusion. Yeah, but we're already in Paris, though. I know. But this is the same time. I don't know if she ever got her sword back. Well, here's the thing. That was on day one. They did because they don't have to waste time and wait for day two anymore. So that's on day one. Right. Then they left early. Exactly. They left earlier. That's why the whole J-Squad's still alive. Yeah, because we see uh, Bill Paxton looking for J-Squad. Yeah. So this is happening the night of day one before the invasion Okay. uh, on the beach. Yeah, they're attacking early. They're attacking the Mimics before Before D-Day. D-Day, yeah. (laughs) Thanks. I knew I had to talk about something to the kiss. Well, I don't think, I don't think she kissed him because she was emotionally attached either, though. It didn't I, seem romantic. It I seemed s- like a yes. I saw a lot on this kiss I, when I was looking into this movie a little bit, and, and mm-hmm. people were kind of mixed on it. Okay. Well, I saw it as like uh, she knows exactly what he's going through right now, so she's just kind of throwing him a bone. <laughs> <laughs> Again, she's known him for one day in this timeline. Yeah. But she also understands the whole everything that's going on. Yeah. So she's aware of certain things. It's also, she knows she's going on a suicide mission. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to die right now. So Like, we're both going to die. Why not kiss? Yeah. That's kind of what I see. Especially Why like, not? And they're both in this situation. I didn't think it was romantic at all. I don't think any of this movie is romantic. I think he's developed a fondness for her that is also maybe not romantic. It's just kind of like, we're partners. We've gotten close. Mm-hmm. And be sure, kiss me. Who cares? Like none, none of it matters anymore. You know, <laughs> nothing matters. We're but all dead. This, I mean, out of most movies where like they would inject a romantic subplot into a movie like this, and I'm like, that seems unbelievable. I don't see characters like this in times of like war falling in love. Like that's just not happening. It's just endearment, if anything. Yeah, like war and death and destruction. Those are cock blocks. Like, no one's developing feelings in those environments. You know what I mean? Maybe afterwards because of shared traumatic experience. Yeah. Like, way after. But right now, no, they're not. And so I just read this as like, this felt more. They're comforting one. Yeah. This felt more legitimate to me because I don't, I didn't buy that they were falling for each other in the slightest. It reminds me of Rogue One. Or at the end, and I was like, and at Rogue One, I was like, please don't kiss. When they're about to die. Oh, yeah. They, they just don't. They just kind of embrace each other. They kind of hold hands, and they're like, all right, here we go. Die. And then they die. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Uh, yeah, look, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Let her kiss him. And it felt like this is a compromise. Like it's on the list of things they have to do. Attractive leads, they have to kiss. We'll we'll figure out how to make that work. So sure, give them that. <laughs> but at the same time, like it's a little bit of comfort. It's a little bit of again, like throw him a bone. Like he's probably more in love with you than you are with him. Yeah. But even then, Philly said something earlier, and then our Streamlabs bot went nuts. Yeah. Uh, finally, if an alpha bleeding on you resets the day, why not just force one to bleed on you? Clearly, they did mention that the alphas were like one in like forty thousand. Yeah, the alphas are very, very rare. You know, they're your chess pieces that you don't send in until after the pawns are in either. (laughs) So there's only two alphas in this movie, I think. One by reputation. It's the one that Emily Blunt kills. Then there's a one that Tom Cruise kills. We see that one. And then there's the one specifically at the dam who's specifically there to kill Tom Cruise and and get the blood back. That might be the one we see again at the Louvre. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like the queen. Yeah. You use it to defend your king, really, and that's it. You can get a little aggressive with it, but if you get too aggressive, you know, you lose your queen, and then Tom Cruise gets superpowers. <laughs> that's that's the worst ending to a game of chess. Tom Cruise gets superpowers. Cage wakes up a day prior than he usually would when he first arrived in London, except this time, the explosion in Paris already happened, and the mimics have stopped fighting. The entire J-Squad is still alive and training, and as a major, William Cage, he visits Rita, who is still confused about his arrival. And that's kind of the movie. <laughs> so, I was trying to figure out what this means. The ending doesn't really make any sense. For a like, few reasons. Why did it reset to a day before? Yeah. Uh, is that like when know. the alpha put itself there? Or maybe it's something that would have been answered in the sequel that no. we never got? So, if you think about the timeline... If you think, like, day one is the day he's always being reset in, day zero would be when the movie starts. Yeah. Right? That day happens. At the end of the day, he gets arrested. Day one is when he wakes up at the barracks. That's where he starts every single day. The beginning of day two is when they storm the beach at 0600. They start early in the morning, right? Mm. Uh, And that's as far as he ever gets, right? Like I said, at one point, there's some implication that, like, he makes it one more day when he flies a helicopter sometimes. I'd buy that. But basically, by the time he kills the Omega, it is the end of day one, right? It is the night before they would have stormed the beach in Normandy, we, we established. Right. When he kills the Omega, it's reset not to the same day, but one day prior. But this the explosion in Paris had already happened. Right. So it doesn't make sense. Well, if it's a creature that like lives through like time and stuff, the explosion happening, that doesn't bother me. Hmm. What bothers me is... But did Tom Cruise do it? Because now he has Omega powers. Maybe he's the Omega now. <laughs> we, this movie has made Tom Cruise the he's Alpha God now. and the Omega. And he started the movie off as a beta. <laughs> beta cuck piece of shit. <laughs> oh, God. I get the feeling it's deliberately happy, this ending, you know, like, yeah, I I, I get the feeling the original ending would have looked different. And then they're like, nah, it's got to be different. Let's tack on something different. I'm wondering if there are any theories on this ending or if there's any good explanation on it or if the director has said anything on it. I couldn't find anything. I'm honest. It left me with more questions than answers. And that's never a good thing, I think. 
No. But um, at, in the very last uh, frame of the movie, he does his little Tom Cruise laugh. Where he's like... <laughs> <laughs> Part of me was worried that like Emily Blunt would recognize him. And now I'd be like, all right, now this defies now I'm all confused. logic. Yeah, she doesn't. But he does kind of smile back at her. He remembers. Right? Obviously. Obviously, because he just did he all that. He remembers everything. He's but now God he has now. like godlike powers, right? Or does he? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he's going to test it. I don't think he's going to kill himself or anything. No, that'd be stupid. Ending would probably make more sense if there was a sequel. Yeah, and that's the thing. I feel like there there might have been some sequel bait here. Although, by the looks of it, I don't know what a sequel would really be. I, don't, I mean, maybe there wasn't only one Omega. That could be too. Yeah. It could be multiple. Yeah. In different like fronts. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the analysis portion of this. Uh, we usually break this down into categories and I, let's start with story. There was going to be a sequel and we talked about this at the top of the show. There was already a script written and everything. Doug Lyman was very proud of it. It was rewritten a couple times again and it was going to be titled, I didn't share this tidbit earlier, Live, Die, Repeat and Repeat. Whoa. Which is a way Re- worse title wait, than repeat anything. And repeat. Yeah, that's Whoa. literally the title. Live, die, repeat, and repeat. What would it be repeating? I want to see the script. Because <laughs> the script is repeating. I want to know what happens next. I'm listen. As terrible as the title was, and how nonsense the ending was, and the beginning was, I want to know more about this world, though. I feel like Edge of Tomorrow Two would have made more sense than Live, uh, Die, Repeat. Edge and of Tomorrow repeat. Two sounds lame, though. Also, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of yesterday. It's still, the, it's still the fucking title when you pop the movie. The so edge of yesterday. It didn't really get retitled. Is all Tomorrow never comes. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> that sounds like a James Bond movie. Edge. Tomorrow never lies. <laughs> uh, he wanted this movie to be called Live, I Repeat. So when they eventually sort of changed it for the DVD release, I guess it kind of became somewhat official that in his mind. People. It would have confused people even more to then in the sequel call it Live, I Repeat and Repeat. Also, it's a horrible title. One ticket for live, die, repeat, and repeat, please. Okay. No, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Didn't that movie come out already? It's called Edge of Yesterday or something. Story-wise, the worst parts of this movie are at the beginning and the end. Yeah, just if, like the worst part of a sandwich is the bread. The best part of the sandwich is the bread. What Depends are you on the about? bread that you use. The bread is the reason why for the sandwich. Yeah. If you have just the filling without the bread, it's boring. It's not good. Uh, it's a bowl. Not good. Good bread makes a sandwich. Uh, moving on. <laughs> I think this is a really tight story that really works very well. It does, and it clocks in at just under two hours, like an hour, 50-something minutes. Yeah, and, and maybe there's no other better way to start the story or end the story, but getting into it and then exiting the story is very messy, I think. I'm glad that it does get into it quickly, though, because... And that's fine. Because then you don't have to worry about it. Again, for me to believe the concept of stranding this guy a bunch of, uh, you know, in the military for him to inevitably die, and in this movie he dies hundreds of times, (laughs) which is a fate worse than any single death, right? That's some hell shit right there. He dies repeatedly stuck in a loop of death. (laughs) Death and despair. Uh... (laughs) It's like Sisyphus. <laughs> yep. What was I saying? What was I saying before we, we talked about Sisyphus? The loop? The, be, the beginning. Oh. It, I need a reason why he would be in that scenario. I think this movie would have benefited from establishing his character as being a piece of shit. And like he used to be. He, like he used to be a, a total piece of shit. 
but people can change. Um, <laughs> establish him as being horrible for whatever reason. Give the general reason to want to bury this man where no one will ever find him again. You know, maybe they are at odds with each other for some reason. Maybe the general is actually super bad and maybe he has dirt on him and he's like, well, I'm going to bury you here. There's nothing you can do about it. You're not going to get your phone call. I don't know. It needed something better than just like, I don't know. Fuck it. I guess I don't like you and you're going to war now. Something that made a little bit more sense. Because it's a big, the beginning is a big question mark and it did kind of take me out of the movie. And then the, the finale, like the ending is like, cool. So we're all cool now. Like what happened here? <laughs> When he looks at Emily Blunt, though, at the end, he gets a little tear in his eyes because he's so happy. And that's cute. He doesn't have to see her die anymore. And again, even if it isn't romantic, if it's platonic, it's like whether or not she knows who he is, she's his best friend now. Yeah. She's he, the he only did, friend he's got. Yeah. He don't and J-Squad. He was happy to see J-Squad. <laughs> I think he's happy that they're not dead. I don't know if he likes them. <laughs> you better watch your back out there because no one else will. Jinx, I li- bitch. <laughs> I like uh, random, but I like that he started getting, uh, finding success with the line, what I'm about to tell you won't make any sense, but the longer I talk, the more sense it'll it'll make. Yeah. Like, that's clearly what has sold people. That's what worked. And it's fun because he's a PR guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's his pitch. <laughs> the more I say, the more you're going to realize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like thinks- he's like hypnotizing him. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, Philly thinks he found an explanation for the ending. Oh. I, I've seen some things online, so I'm interested in what you've... Uh... Yeah. But again, you shouldn't have to like look up what the, this movie... You should understand the movie when you walk out. Yeah, but some people like that. I don't know. Like People be like, oh man, Inception. Yeah, is is he still dreaming? We don't fucking know. That's a little tease. Like, it's not like even... Uh... Nolan? Nolan, even he's admitted like it's not supposed to be that ambiguous. I was just teasing you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, but is he awake or not? Answer <laughs> <laughs> the goddamn question. <laughs> Waiting for that explanation before we move on. After he blows up the Omega, he gets the Alpha's blood on him and he resets. But because he doesn't go into a new day, he goes into the day before, which is where he would have been on the helicopter going to see the general. But because he doesn't go into a new day, he goes into the day but before. But why doesn't he go into a new day? Like, why wouldn't he have just woken up on the on the helicarrier again or the base? Well, I like I get it from a narrative perspective because if he did go back any time, then it wouldn't make sense that the future has already happened. Like, right. Oh, yeah. It, the only way this would make sense if he would were to wake up in the future. However, everybody's dead, and that's a and, downer. <laughs> it kind of is. So, Literally, everybody's dead. Like at that point, it wouldn't even make sense for him to be alive anymore. It would make sense for him to be alive. I guess got, if, if the blood he got, got the on. Blood, yeah. But maybe he himself decided to go back to that time, like subconsciously. And okay, because so, he has the power now, and he's sort of in control of it. Okay, so he right. So here's the only way I see it. Given the Omega's powers, he has more time travel ability that he can control, and he goes back, does it all over again, succeeds. In the perfect way, and that's the that's the one we got. Whoa. You know? Like he went and blew it up before like, he was right. even... Like he went back a day earlier, went straight to the Louvre, knew Blue. exactly what to do, <laughs> knew exactly where to go, did it faster, and therefore it blew up by the next morning before anyone else could die. That makes sense. That's totally possible. 
within the context of this movie. I think that's I think that makes the most sense. I think I solved it. <laughs> but the movie again, it's not but clear. I'm making still, this up. Does he still have Omega powers? I mean, maybe. Yeah. But if he dies, well, here's the thing. If he dies, then they're back li- in war. What if he lives, he's do it again? What if he lives his whole life, dies of old age, and then wakes up again at war? Why do I feel like I've seen something where somebody lived like their entire life and then like the loop reset? Captain America? No, that's not a time loop. Oh wait. Well, he goes in a time he loop. He does, but no. Philly's saying apparently he dies before the Omega, so he resets, but the Omega doesn't. Therefore, he no longer has the power. And as an exact quote, Cage is fated to live and die with no repeat, just like the rest of us. But he's alive by the end of the movie. I'm confused. What do you mean? I'm confused, too. Edge of confusion. Edge of confusion, man. I don't know. I like mine. He just went back a day earlier, killed the Omega, and then solved everything. It's just off screen. (laughs) Because we don't need to see the finale twice. (laughs) I think... Okay, but it would have been a little bit better if... You saw him go back. He knows exactly, even like if it's really quick, he knows exactly what to do. Saves the day, fixes everything. Yeah, that would have been a little anticlimactic. I don't think so. It would have been like, uh, I feel there's a movie that did that. <laughs> See, I keep thinking there's a movie that like did some of this stuff, but then I can't think of what Same. did it. Same. I'm like, there's a movie that's done this. And like, but is there? Or is this the movie that did it? There's a movie that's done this. I know what I was thinking where somebody like lived a bunch of time and then woke up at the beginning of the loop again. That was an episode of Supernatural. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. Everything else in the story, I think, works very well. I think this movie does a very good job of telling a cohesive, regular story within this kind of framework of like, you have to go back and do it again and do it again and do it again. Yeah. At the same time, it's kind of like the plot still makes sense outside of that iterative process Mm -hmm. you know it's still kind of like there's an act one where he learns an act two where you know meets the character and they they're gonna get to know each other and then an act three where they realize they're at odds and have to go separate and all all this like it's still kind of like the familiar and yet kind of welcome regular story stuff within this kind of mechanics you know yeah all right do you have any story notes I enjoy the story a lot. I think characters, characters as well. This movie does a good job at like not having all the side characters just be literally side characters. You know, mm-hmm. everybody has like something to do. Well, there's a lot of side characters. There's a lot of side characters, but they all play like a a role in this. Yeah, even Bill Paxton. Well, he's the best one. The thing is, he probably had the least to do. <laughs> but yeah, but he's kind of the best character. <laughs> so I liked all the characters overall. Um, story, you know, minus the ridiculous shit at the beginning and like the confusing part at the end, I think mm-hmm. the story is overall solid. Like it's a good time loop story. It's not. Yeah. Here's the thing: none of the stuff about the time loop or aliens or anything like that. None of that feels ridiculous. All of that is done very well. It's the mm-hmm. like getting caged to the military base that it was ridiculous. really is just the beginning and the end. I think that's what really kind of puts a little bums bit of me a, out. Yeah. yeah, I think the movie is solid. Other than that. But I think, like, as an action movie, this is fantastic. Yeah, the action's incredible. Uh, I, I read complaints about the ending because it's too dark. And, like, okay, it's a different setting. Like, the whole beginning is very bright. Yeah. What, do you, what do you want? <laughs> you know? It takes place at night. Like, <laughs> It's just a different... It's there to be... Yeah, it's supposed to be bleaker because the stakes are higher. Death means something at it the end. It sets the tone very well. Yeah. and that Right. And it matches the setting. Like, it's dark and bleak. 
And their their situation is dark and bleak because they could actually die this time. Yeah. And that kind of takes me into cinematography. But actually, I know I didn't want to talk about all the characters. I think you had mentioned that this is like one of this is the best role for Tom Cruise because he's a he's kind of a bozo. He's an idiot. <laughs> he's not good. Yeah. At stuff like usually he's like the best. Yeah. So it's like it's good to see him like at first be like really terrible at everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he dies so much and he's so fucking pathetic at the beginning when he can't figure out the jacket. <laughs> Can't figure out the jacket. He he's so scared, yeah. <laughs> and he sells it really well. Like Tom Cruise is a good actor. He's a good actor. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to him. <laughs> but yeah, carries over to the cinematography. Oh no, one more thing. Uh, sorry, Emily Blunt's character, Rita Rita Vitrasky. Yeah, she's amazing. I really love her in this. I think she's incredible. And I think prior to this, Emily Blunt mostly did comedies. I don't know too much about her career and we should have done her for keep cancel actually but i think she's less interesting i think it's an easy like oh yeah keep whatever you know she's great she's married to john krasinski she's married to john krasinski yeah he's great then they're great actors and creatives yes all around and seem like very nice people (laughs) (laughs) keep easy move on (laughs) i love her in this role as like the fucking badass yeah there's a lot to be said about the gender roles that are swapped because she is the knowledgeable one. She's the badass. She's teaching She's him. She's the mentor. Yeah. And he's the mentee. He's the idiot. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, I've seen it both ways where some people are like, yeah, but he's the hero. She's kind of this archetype. She grooms him into becoming the hero. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's look, there's different kinds of stories for different kinds of stories, I guess. I don't know what you want me to say, but I really appreciate how badass they make her. Um, again, full metal bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and during the montage where she keeps killing him, he keeps looking at like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about the kiss at the end and, and what exactly does it mean for the story? Is it kind of producers going like, no, the two attractive leads need to kiss. They need to be romantically involved. Or is it just kind of like this moment of desperation, whatever, like we're going to die. Let's just fucking kiss even though we barely know each other at least <laughs> she doesn't know him he knows her very well yeah i did like and i didn't mention this i did like the bit where she purposefully makes up details about her life to him so when he yep. repeats them back to her she's like because she hasn't made him up yet she's like that's bullshit she's like that's not true <laughs> uh until when she's on her fucking deathbed basically she's like this is my actual middle name <laughs> i think that works very well because she can't logically speaking get close to him because she has never known him for more than a few hours right so in that moment it wouldn't make sense for this for her to be like you know what actually you're growing on to me right yeah he he can't be because she hasn't known him long exactly whereas she's very much grown on to him so it makes sense for the for the movie to be like well she's dying therefore she has reached that point where she's like okay i'll tell you something yeah here's who i am you know and he has all these little bits and pieces to kind of put together her little profile for her of like, you know, who who is this person that I'm like been working with for years, even though I don't know anything about them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, time loops are crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's <laughs> depressing when you think about it. Yeah. Sorry, cinematography. Uh, this movie is, is, I think, is shot very well. I like the bits that are in very well-lit environments yeah it serves kind of a contrast to a lot of like action movies it's nice when you just like 
you can see everything, you know? The beach scene is great. All the stuff on the military base is great, too. Yeah. It's funny. That's Heathrow Airport. And they're like, fuck it. Military base now. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the action in this movie? We talked about it, but... It's very good. Very... Um, it feels very brutal and kind of like raw and clumsy. It doesn't feel like super choreographed mm-hmm. in a good way. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously choreographed, but yeah, exactly. Right. But it's... I mean, there's something to be said where it, like, it doesn't feel that way, right? Right. Director Doug Lineman has made movies such as Swingers Go, The Born Identity. That makes a lot of sense right there. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Jumper, this movie. Jumper, really? American Made. Jumper's a horrible movie, if I remember yeah, correctly. I remember it is. God awful. It has How, like a cool concept, but it's just not good. No, it's it's bad. That's Oh, that's one of those movies that info dumps at the beginning. It yeah. tells you like, hey, there's a secret society and there's other there's this other secret society of jumpers and they hate each other and try to remember all this and yeah, here we go. One of them called like paladins oh, and the other are jumpers. Fucking, and they're like, paladins hate jumpers. Jumpers run from paladins. That's all you need. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but Born Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, those those are both great action movies. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Smith is a silly movie. But part of the reason I think that movie works is because it's a very silly concept and then amazing action throughout. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's like a good movie, but it is fun to watch. Well, it's a great action movie. Like, that's the highlight of that film. And then obviously, Born Identity, that kind of close-up fights, visceral. Raw. uh, Raw, Mm -hmm. yeah. The first three, I'd say, are good. I've never seen the fourth one. Is the fourth one the one that Matt Damon's not even in? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But then he he comes back in a fifth one. Yeah. I I remember the line from the trailer became a meme where the guy's like, oh my God, it's Jason Bourne. (laughs) (laughs) The first three are good, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like the original trilogy. Those are good, like, action, spy, thriller type movies. Mm -hmm. Usually we would talk about costumes, but there's no costumes. and There's mech suits. The mech suits look good. Mech suits are amazing. I question why she would use a sword uh, instead of a gun, but... Because based off of a Japanese story? That's it. That's probably That's, that's what it is. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, and it is cool. Not sure how much power... First of all, it looks heavy as shit. And how she's swinging It looks that. like a helicopter rotor. Yeah, it looks like a fucking Thanos sword. Cut it kind of does. Yeah. Um... I question how much strength she has to swing that giant piece of metal against like. Well, she's got the exosuit helping her. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I was like, she's fucking swinging those at those big ass aliens, and it's working. The suit <laughs> makes you stronger. That's true. She got the suit. I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, Music didn't really do too much for me in this I don't movie. Even remember there being any, so I'm not even gonna talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I remember like bits, but it, it was very like. It was just there. Yeah. Nothing bad about it. Nothing good to say about it either. I mentioned the potential sequel. I think that's kind of... Well, you know, we... And and this is typical of us. We talk a lot about these concepts as the plot goes on. That's where the juice of it is. But, uh, yeah, I think overall this works really well story-wise. All levels of production. Action. Acting. uh, I think all the actors are super solid. Um, especially Bill Paxton in that tiny role, um, <laughs> but definitely Emily Blunt and uh, and Tom Cruise. Yes, um, and, and I don't, don't even like Tom Cruise. I don't. He's the thing. He's a good actor. He's a good actor, but I don't like him. That's fair. Let's move on because we have to talk about Tom Cruise. 
Yes, we do, because there's a lot to speak on. <laughs> so this is Keeper Cancel, segment of the show where we talk about the actors or other people in this movie, and we decide, do we keep him or we cancel him? It's a play on cancel culture. Tom Cruise. This is one of the biggest names that we could ever touch. Yeah. Right? Up until recently, he wasn't even on our list. And I was like, oh, damn, Like we're never going to be able to cancel Tom Cruise. And then we decided to add these two movies in. So we're going to do a two-parter, keep or cancel, on Tom Cruise this week and next week. This week, we're going to focus on Tom Cruise, the actor. Actor? Not the person. Not Tom Cruise, the person. So we're going to try to separate, compartmentalize, talk about Tom Cruise's performances and his work as a producer. And then next week, we'll talk about how tall he is, where his teeth are, <laughs> what his religious beliefs are. So basically, are. right now, we're talking about his art. And is he in a cult? <laughs> next week, we'll be talking about the artist. And is he a dangerous person and figurehead within this cult that has possibly and allegedly killed people? Let's find out next week, <laughs> shall we? But yeah, let's talk about him as an actor because I think he's a fascinating actor. Risky Business. Yeah, and this is selective filmography because there's a the, lot of movies. That one's kind of iconic, though. You got that's like, his big one. That's him his... like sliding into frame and yeah. yeah. So you you've seen Risky Business? I've seen bits of it. <laughs> I can't say I've seen classic. the whole movie. High school kid goes nuts, like in his college years or whatever. Yeah. No, I haven't seen it either. Uh, Top Gun. I've seen that. I saw it recently. It's fine. Here's the thing about Top Gun. The action is perfect. <laughs> like everything when they're on a plane, all that shit is perfect. It was revolutionary to put all that stuff on camera. Everything with the characters is uh, not so yes. good. Everything else sucks. I think all the character stuff is bad and it's weird. There's a very weird love plot in that. Is it when he like jogs from the beach to like her house or whatever and they fuck? He rides in on a motorcycle and then, like, it, it turns into a music video. And they, yeah, they fuck to some song. I don't remember. And there's, like, sh- hanging sheets I thought she didn't even like him. Them. No, she didn't. <laughs> it's like fucking Roxanne and Nick Cage. She He walks <laughs> in on, on her in the women's bathroom, and he says a bunch of shit to her early in the movie. And she's like, get the fuck out of this bathroom. And then they fuck. And then they fuck. And yeah, then she's like, weird. am I pretty? <laughs> Cocktail. That's the one where he's throwing all the. He's the bartender. He's throwing all the. Oh, he's doing the Tom Holland thing from Uncharted. Tom Holland throws the bottles in the air. He does some bartending shit. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> the color of money. Rain Man. It's the one with uh, Dustin Hoffman. That one's classic. Born on the Fourth of July. I haven't seen that. Days of Thunder. That's the NASCAR mm, one. I haven't seen that. Okay. A few <laughs> good men. Haven't seen that. I was thinking of all the presidents, men. That's a different movie. It's a different thing. <laughs> uh, I've only seen out of all of those. I think a like a chunk of Rain Man. <laughs> I think a few good men is a lot of these are memeable, which is hilarious. Yeah, a few good men is the movie based on Aaron Sorkin's play. That's the one with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson, where uh, he yells. You can't handle the truth. Oh, in the fucking in the courtroom. courtroom. Yeah, because they're like, it's about a court martial. Yep. It's apparently really good. And I haven't seen it, but you I've want seen. the truth. You can't handle the truth. I've seen that scene a bunch of times. <laughs> Interview with the Vampire. I've seen this movie a couple times. I've seen times. that. That's good. It's a good movie. It's Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, and they're both uh, sexy vampires. Yeah. 
And based then, on a book. Yeah, and then what's her face is in it too? It's a little little. Oh, little Mary girl. Jane Watson. Yeah, she's a little girl vampire. Kirsten Dunst. Mission Impossible. I have seen the newest one, and that's it. God, is that weird? Damn it! Yeah, it's weird. You got to start with one. Here's how you do Mission Impossible. You start with one, which is my favorite one, by the way. And I know that I know they get better, but in my opinion, I one, heard uh, one is my favorite. Two was really bad. Was it two that was really you bad or three? You don't watch two. Two's you bad. Skip two. I saw the one with Superman in it. Where he shotgun cocks his oh, fist hell yeah. and he grows facial hair when he does it. Because I think that's just the because gif. No, that was that was in the trailer. I don't know if it was in the movie, but it was in I the feel trailer. Like it's a lighting. He thing. goes like, like that, and then facial hair appears on his face. <laughs> but I think it's just because he walked out of like a light into a shadow. It it looks like it was just shot at two different times, and they used two takes. That'd be funny. It is. Funny that's enough. a great little shot. Yeah. And Superman gets that real bad upper lip. Yeah, thanks to. Mission Impossible, which oh, came yeah. out years later. That came out uh, a few years after Justice League, right? Not, no, it came well, out like, like a two, year after. They were, like two years they were filming after. it. Again, you got to remember, they're filming it at the same time as they were filming. They want to do reshoots for Justice League. Oh. So anyway. it would have been a little bit further behind. Okay. It's like WB like sabotaged themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe a little. Um, again, WB offered to pay for the CGI to put his mustache back on. And, and they're uh, like, no. Paramount, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, between them and uh, fucking um, WB, they'd be like, nope. Get all the lawyers involved. <laughs> <laughs> Over uh, Henry Cavill's facial hair. Anyway, Mission Impossible, that first one, great fucking movie. It's my favorite Mission Impossible. Again, you skip two. Two is non-canon. Do one. Is it actually non-canon, or are you just saying that? I'm just saying that, but it is <sighs> so... If it's canon, I need to know what happens. Well, the events of two are never referenced, and it is totally such a different kind of movie that when you watch them in context with all the other ones, it just doesn't make any sense why that movie needs to exist. So kind of like Tokyo Drift, except Tokyo Drift was good? Yeah, it's a bad example. <laughs> but it doesn't fall in line with the other movies, because it's good. Okay, sure. I thought you liked Fast and Furious. I I do, but I don't. <laughs> it's complicated. It's complicated. He's here, but he's not here. I love them, but I hate them. Okay. Mission Impossible, skip two is all I'm saying. One, three, four, five, six, all great. The reason one is my favorite is because it's more espionage and less action-y. Okay. It's more about finding the mole, the hidden agent in their secret CIA group that sold them out and got them all killed. That's the whole plot of that first movie. It's very spy thriller. Okay. Uh, and there's really only like one big action set piece at the end. Hmm. Uh, not including the hanging from the cable thing. Have you seen that? I've seen that. So it yeah. doesn't touch the floor. Because of the lasers and Amazing. stuff? Amazing. It's a, it's a pressure sensitive floor. Oh, uh, pressure sensitive. And it ages really well, that movie, because the technology is like believable for 95. You know, it's not like... They had like holograms or anything. It's not like the old James Bond movies where they're like, yeah, like oh, I have a watch that can do everything. I have a pen that if you click it three times, it'll explode. Actually, never mind. There's exploding gum in that movie, but it doesn't explode oh, that much. No, the whole point of that gum is like it explodes a little bit. It's like a spark. Put it on something that will like really explode. Oh, Put so it on like, a gas um, tank. I think that's in Spy Kids. In what way? Literally, there's chewing gum that like sparks and Spy Kids when oh. they spit it on people. Well, that might be a Mission Impossible reference then. <laughs> Spy Kids movies are good. Well, the first two are good. Uh, okay. Third one's <laughs> questionable, and the fourth one is non-canon. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> how the turntables. Jerry Maguire. Another classic. Another classic. He's the, um, he's like a sports agent, right? I believe so. Yeah. You had me at hello. <laughs> Just. <laughs> <sighs> Magnolia. Have you ever seen Magnolia? No. Fantastic film. Blew my mind when I watched this. I think it's Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, 99 by Paul Thomas Anderson. Look, I'll be honest. I don't really remember what it's about. <laughs> Tom Cruise has an incredible role in this movie. This got him a Best Supporting Actor Academy Award nomination. That's yeah. good. He has this whole monologue in, in it. it it's, re- it's really good. It's the first time I had ever seen Tom Cruise like really act a dramatic role. And you loved it. Not just like, like an action role like all of these. Right. Mission Impossible 2. Non-canon. It's a very look. It's a very straightforward John Woo action movie. Oh, that's good. Mm. That could also be bad. It's kind of bad. It, it loses all the fun espionage elements of the first movie and just kind of becomes a caper. You know, oh. I don't like it. Uh, Tom Cruise has weird long hair in it. Also, interesting. <laughs> and then it's got the exploding glass. It doesn't make sense. Hmm. Anyway, Vanilla Sky. Have you seen Vanilla Sky? I've heard of it. I could also be thinking about October Sky with Jake Gyllenhaal. Vanilla Sky is like he's in a some sort of simulation or something. Yeah, I haven't seen I've it. I've seen the movie, by the way. I just don't remember a goddamn thing about it. Wildly considered just the worst movie. Oh, cool. Uh, it's bad. I thought Waterworld was like the worst movie. Yeah, I mean, Vanilla Sky. I mean, it's, it's on those kinds of lists. Okay. You know? Minority Report. That movie's great. That movie's fantastic. I saw it as a kid. That might actually be the first Tom Cruise movie I remember seeing. Spielberg, right? Yeah. 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 It's weird because Spielberg always does different genres. Yeah. And so you never see you. It's like you never see what's. This what was he's like a with hardcore later. sci-fi movie by Spielberg, and it, it was good. It's a hardcore neo noir. Neo noir sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's very good. Tom Cruise, Colin Farrell. Also, who's the old guy in that movie? There's the one that was in Star Wars for a second. Oh, Max von Sydow. Yeah, Max von Sydow. Sydow. I think it's Sydow. Fucking amazing. It holds up despite that we are so much closer to that time era. It's set in 2050. And you're already, yeah. it's already kind of like, future didn't go that way. <laughs> no. But it still holds up. It's a great film. It's a really cool concept of a movie, too. Yeah. Austin Powers in Goldmember. That was the last one, right? That's the third one, yeah. He plays himself playing Austin Powers. <laughs> That's fun. Kind of his first foray in comedy. Yeah, because which... he does Tropic Thunder a little bit Oh, later. fuck, I skipped Eyes Wide Show. It's a that, very... is, that title doesn't make sense. It's a very erotic movie he did with his wife at the time, Nicole Kidman. One of the last movies by... Um... Kubrick. Oh, Stanley yeah. Kubrick? Yeah, Eyes Wide Shut's like one of his last movies. The Last Samurai? Oh, where he's the white guy and he's the last samurai. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. It's weird. It's weird. It, where, where did he learn how to become a samurai? Well, you have to watch. Did you watch the movie? I, when I was a kid. It's not that bad. It's pretty good. The thing about Last Samurai is that it's a pretty good movie. It's just like the definition of white savior. Like it's literally what he is. <laughs> <laughs> he goes off into Japan and becomes the best samurai. That's what happens in this oh, movie. Oh, it's like Iron Fist, but like worse. Yeah, and but, he's the last one. And then they all die, and then he's the last one because he's the best one. Because he's the best one. Because he's the whitest of he's them all. He's the immortal Iron Fist, <laughs> protector of Kunlun, sworn enemy of the hand. 
<laughs> Collateral. Have you ever seen Collateral? No. Great movie. Kind of a low-key action thriller. Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Tom Cruise is an assassin. Also, he wears a white hair wig. Looks really weird. I hate that. No, but it, lo- it looks good. It's just not the typical Tom Cruise look. Uh, I like that he looks different than most action movies. He shouldn't just be Tom Cruise all the time, you know? It's like The Rock. He looks the fucking same. He wears the same clothes in every yeah. movie. Uh, so it's, it's nice to break it up. He's wearing a suit and, and like a salt and pepper wig. He plays an assassin and takes a cab to his assassination. And the cab driver is Jamie Foxx, who is now complicit in his assassinations. Is this one of Jamie Foxx's first movies? Near the beginning. No, because remember Jamie, we did Keeper Cancel on him. And we oh, did, yeah. his early movies were a while back. That's right. Um, It was like that Spike Lee movie. I forgot. He had been acting for quite a while. Yeah. he He's always dipped his toes in everything. But I don't think people noticed too much until he was doing like Ray and Collateral. Yeah. I think oh, Ray four. is what got people like yeah. real Academy interested. Award, yeah. yeah. So now he's like taking this cabbie around to do more, more murders with him. But the action in that is is really incredible. It's a great movie. It sounds like the upcoming Michael Bay movie with the ambulance. <laughs> no, but it's better than that. It's not out yet. We don't know. <laughs> War of the Worlds. It was the beloved remake. Of it, the was classic. Okay. <laughs> it was okay. It was okay. People hate this movie. It was fine. It was bad. I thought it was bad. Uh, Mission Impossible Three. Mission Impossible Three is kicked back into high gear. It, it goes back to it's the J.J. Abrams his first movie. I think has the best villain of all Mission Impossible movies, played by uh, Mike uh, 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 Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, he's great. He was great. Terrifying villain. Fucking incredible. Tropic Thunder. He plays Look, the, the agent. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't seen Tropic Thunder, you need to, first of all. Apparently that role was Tom Cruise's idea. And I believe it. Like, the thing is, and where I want to get to it, but like, who is Tom Cruise? Because... He seems to really understand movies, even though I don't think he has a sense of humor. But, like, it kind of seems like he does have a great sense of humor. I don't think he does. I think he understands what works in movies. Like, I think he knows how to, like, say a joke, but he doesn't get the joke. You know, those people? You know, psychopaths? Who are like, <laughs> like you know, make eye contact. Laugh at jokes, even if you don't get them. Is, is this what being human is? Yeah. <laughs> He's not a human. He's a lizard person, okay? If there were lizard people, he'd definitely be one of God, them. God, we were talking about lizard people. Oh, no. Where's Mephisto? Uh, uh, so, Tropic Thunder. Uh, also, he's in a fat suit, which is fucking hilarious. Um, yeah. Tropic Thunder. Valkyrie. It's a Brian Singer movie. It, look, I but, watched I watched half of it, and I was like, this movie's trying to be really, really smart. And, and it's really, really not? It's really annoying. Like, I, it's hard to follow. And it shouldn't be that hard to follow. And it's about the people that try to take down Hitler. Also, they all have American. They all speak English with American accents. It's. I mean, I think they have German accents, but yeah. Mission Impossible Four. That's the Brad Bird one. Really good. Uh, Rock of Ages. It's like a rock star in that one, right? Not like a comedy, yeah. musical type mm-hmm. deal. Yep. Yeah. Jack Reacher, which we sort of talked about earlier. Kind of miscast because the character of Jack Reacher is supposed to be really big and brooding. Uh, and uh, and he's not. He's kind of small. 
Oblivion, which we're going to talk about next week. Edge yep. of Tomorrow, which we just talked about today. Mission Impossible 5, which is a great one. Jack Reacher 2 <laughs> has some other, I don't know. Oh, uh, he's in that beloved remake of The Mummy. Yeah. <laughs> that everybody loved, and it kick-started this whole cinematic universe. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> All those things. Uh, uh, have you seen The Mummy? Yeah, it's like, it's not terrible, but like, it doesn't work. The Brendan Fraser one is way better. I just can't see. I don't know. I can't see myself. It's it's a remake of a that. remake. <laughs> the first remake, the Brendan Fraser one. That movie's a, a lot, lot of fun. people don't know that's a remake though. Universal's always trying to reboot their Universal monsters. Always, and they've they been, always do terrible. They've been it. doing it for decades. This is not new. They keep fucking it up, except <laughs> yeah. for with the Mummy. Uh, well, Van, and- Van Helsing was pretty bad. <laughs> Van Helsing was pretty bad. What about uh, the Invisible Man? Is that a Universal monster? Yeah. No, that's a. I don't remember. No, yeah, that might be a Universal. Thing. I think that was like classic literature, though, which a lot of Universal monsters are based off of. Probably. The Mummy, the Brendan Fraser Mummy, is a remake of. Is the original called The Curse of the Mummy? I don't like know. That? Yeah, it's from like the forties. Yeah. Yeah, I got no information on the Invisible Man. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, so that was supposed to kickstart a whole universe. Didn't didn't do any of that. It was called like the Dark Universe, yeah, right, or something like that. The Dark Universe, actually, Dark Universe, Universal Dracula Monsters. Untold was supposed to yep. kickstart that. Then they said, "Fuck it, let's try again." When with that the next one. when that didn't do well, they're like, "All right, the Mummy. This is going to be the start of our new universe." Nothing after that. Well, they had a couple more movies planned. We haven't heard of anything from any of those movies. They, I think they canceled all of them. There was supposed to be like a a Bride of Frankenstein movie. Give us another good Frankenstein. Russell Crowe is like Doctor Jekyll, right? He was Doctor yeah, Jekyll. Yeah, he was Doctor Jekyll. So obviously he would become Mister Hyde, also. Yeah. Dracula Untold is a fun movie, See, but it's not good. Like the plot on, sucks. They could have just kept making it. Just make more of the movies, you know. And just like go forward with that universe. It doesn't have to be the MCU. It could be like a fun, kind of campy but dark. Sure. Like just do your thing. Just make movies. There's no reason to be like, ah, right, this one sucked. Dump it all. And like, bring no. Brendan Fraser back. <laughs> I don't feel do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's kind of old. American Made. This movie came out last year or the year before. He's like a pilot. He runs cash to like Cuba or something like that. I don't. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Very Tom Cruise. Mission Impossible Six. That's the one you saw. Yeah, Henry Cavill. God, you need to watch the other ones. We need to do a Mission Impossible marathon. Upcoming. Mission Impossible 7 and 8, and also Top Gun, Maverick, the I thought that already came out. No, it was delayed because of uh, COVID, then it was delayed again, and now it's Why is it delayed again? Soon. I don't know. I remember seeing a trailer for that like two and oh, a half years yeah. ago. Oh, yeah, with the music and everything. Yep. Yep. So I hope it's a better movie than Top Gun, which, uh, again, great action, horrible Maybe this will be a more characters. mature Top Gun. Yeah. It's horrible characters and story. Goose sure, is yeah. cool. Huh? Goose was cool. Yeah, but Goose dies. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. <sighs> so, Tom Cruise, the actor, oftentimes running, oftentimes... He runs and he has his hands like this smiling. a lot when he runs, like with the straight. Oftentimes swimming, things he likes to do. He likes doing action stuff. He likes doing stunts. He likes holding on to planes. He likes doing halo dives. So he's nuts. Yeah. So so a lot of his movies require big action 
stunts that he likes to do himself because he's probably insane. We'll talk about that next week. I think in the newest Mission Impossible, yep, he broke his ankle. Yep, filming. And the part where he broke his ankle, they used that take. In the movie, yeah. You see it. It's when he jumps from one building to another and he doesn't quite make it. And he almost died. Yeah, he almost died in real life. (laughs) I've got... Hold on. There's a really fun... Oh, my God. I'm so angry I lost this quote. Was it I don't know. Cool? I don't even know where I was going to find it. Yeah, it's where uh, Roger Ebert, on Days of Thunder, he realizes Tom Cruise, all his movies are exactly the same. And he, oh. and he starts listing the nine different elements that make up a Tom Cruise movie. And I was reading them, and I went, holy shit. It's so true. <laughs> Maybe I'll find that for next week. Was it like a video or like an article? It's something that Roger Ebert said oh. when he was alive. <laughs> anyway. So he's been a producer essentially since Mission Impossible, the first movie. All Mission Impossible movies have been at least partly produced by him. So they're literally like his movies. But when it comes to these action movies, it really kind of makes me believe that like he kind of he knows what he's doing. He knows what works and what makes for good action. Yeah. Like again, it's very hard for me to kind of like get in his head, understand what makes Tom Cruise, if you get my <laughs> pun, but as an actor, I really enjoy him. I like his, his work is pretty fucking fantastic. Yeah, it's rare for me to like see a movie with an actor's name in it and be like, "Oh, I I can trust that movie." Like those days are long gone where like a certain actor being in a movie means something. And I think Tom Cruise might be like the last kind of action star. Like you know what you're going to get when you see him in a movie. Yeah. And there is cer- there's a certain level of quality there because it's not you can't say the same about The Rock. Like, you know what you're going to get out of a Rock movie, but you might not like that. Yeah. It might not. You know what I mean? They're not as good as Tom Cruise movies. He's not as good an actor. Really not. <laughs> Again, watch Magnolia. You see his range. Watch some of these other movies like Tropic Thunder, and you see his his comedic chops, even though I, I don't... Part of me doesn't believe that he's funny, but people tell him what to say and how to say it. And he does and, it very well. And he believes that, like, this is going to work and it's, and it's Okay, true. this is going to be funny. Okay. Ha, 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 ha. Have you seen him laugh, by the way? It's terrifying. No. It's like that. It's like how a lizard person would laugh. Oh, man. Well, like, <laughs> his, oh, yeah, he does do, like, the... <laughs> 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 like, you're laughing at the wrong times and you're yeah. too... He you does know? it a lot while he's talking, too. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we're not talking about him as a person. We're talking no, about him as an no. actor. Oh, but it's Philly strange. found uh, the... Oh, oh, God damn he it. He did his research. You're uh, redeeming yourself. Battle is the great redeemer for you. <laughs> oh, here's the nine things. Okay. Oh, cool. oh, shit. Okay. So, uh, oh. I have this article. Thank you, Philly. Uh, Roger Ebert's original review on Days of Thunder. And it's... Days of Thunder is an entertaining example of what we might call the Tom Cruise picture, all in caps, since it assembles most of the same elements that worked in Top Gun, Color of Money, and Cocktail, and runs them through a formula once again. Parts of the plot are beginning to wear out their welcome, but the key ingredients are still effective. They include number one, the Cruise character. Uh, invariably a young and naive, but naturally talented kid that could be the best if he could just tame his rambunctious spirits. And looking into the future... That's Maverick. It's the same shit over and over again. He's just older, but he still is like talented. Number two, the mentor, an older man who has done it himself and has been there before and knows the talent when he sees it, blah, 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 blah. In this movie, it's it's, uh, Rita. Okay. Uh, Well, actually, it's two people because number three- Yeah, Bill Paxton. 
<laughs> the superior woman, usually older, taller, and more mature than the cruise character who functions as a mentor for its spirit, while the male mentor supervises his craft. Oh, she's kind of both. She's kind of both in this case, yeah. The craft, number four, which he has to master. Number War. five, the arena in which he is tested. War. <laughs> number six, the arcana, consisting of the specialized knowledge and lore uh, that the movie knows about that we get to learn. This is all this movie, by the way. Is he just doing the hero's journey, though? But sort no, of? a lot of this stuff is specific to... Tom Cruise Tom movie. Cruise. Like, like the superior woman. Oh, true. Uh, number seven, the trail. A journey to visit the principal places, the master's crest, blah, blah, blah. Number eight, the proto-enemy. The bad guy in the opening rows of the movie who provides the hero with a opponent to practice on but number nine is the eventual enemy bad guy who turns up in the closing reels so is a proto uh, enemy of the general provide the hero with a test of a skill learning ability of correct okay so look the j squad i'm gonna take this with a big grain of salt because yeah ebert could be describing a many number of films right but you look at a lot of his filmography and you can see how you can put a lot of these in there uh like the young rambunctious gun has to learn a craft, perfect it, superior woman mentor characters, then defeat the enemy in the arena. Like that is specific enough that not all movies have that, but a lot of Tom Cruise movies do. Okay. Including at least some of the ones that I've seen here. Mission, um, Impossible. Mission Impossible. The first one for sure. Minority Report? Minority Report? That one might no, be an outlier. No, that might be an outlier. That's also a very well-written movie. It was written by Spielberg. Not Cruz, mm. I believe. He wasn't a producer on that, right? It's based on a book. No, he wasn't. It is based on a book. I don't know. We'll ponder more on this when we get to next week on Oblivion. But <laughs> no, overall, I really do like him as an like, actor. It makes it difficult to kind of treat him as a person, right? Yeah. He's a difficult equation to figure out. Him being such a good actor, though, means that I wouldn't be upset if we saw him as a certain uh, man in a tin can. Yeah. <laughs> And at first, I was very much against that because I'm like, no, fuck this. Fuck Tom Cruise. We don't need this. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? He'd do, given the proper he'd script, probably he'd do, do a good job. really well. Yeah. Especially if it's the. He could play a similar version of that character. So. Well, if it's the iteration that everybody thinks it is, I think Tom Cruise will play it very well. I, I think it's perfect because he's also like straight up evil. <laughs> yeah. But he has to lean into that because Tom Cruise has not played a lot of villains. If True. any. True. He would have to lean into it. Which they might, he can't they do. might think, make it to where he's just think more about of a Tropic Thunder. Dickhead. Like he could he could do it. Given yeah. it's not his vehicle, but given a good enough script, he, has he could done do it. it before he can do it. He's a good actor. So keep her cancel. Again, we're gonna come back around next week. We're gonna talk about Tom Cruise, the person, the Scientologist. But as an actor producer, I really like him and I wish he I wish him many more years of success. I would like to see if he will ever transition into an old man role. Or, or if he'll just... Or if he's going to be an action star until he fucking dies on set. Like Sylvester? Who's still alive. I mean, I guess you're right. <laughs> Sylvester. I should have said Stallone. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> so, as an actor, for sure, keep. Okay. But an asterisk. Put an asterisk on that. What about you? Uh, I will also say, as an actor, keep him because he does amazing work. And I'm really glad we're not talking about him as a person because that's where it gets complicated. It gets complicated. It's a sticky situation. It's weird. It's yeah. But yeah, acting wise, like he's a fucking master of his craft. Absolutely. 
Into the Phantom Zone, this movie, Edge of Tomorrow, a.k.a. Live, Die, Repeat. Birdo, do you want to go? Yeah, um, I will not put this in the Phantom Zone because I think this is a pretty great movie overall. I would actually recommend this to people to watch. And it's a shame that not a lot of people know about this movie. Like, yeah. This isn't a movie that people talk about like ever. Like it. No one's brought this up in a conversation movie. before. Yeah. yeah. No one's like, oh, like an edge of tomorrow. No one says that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely uh, keeping that out of the Phantom Zone. Yeah. I really do like this movie. I have two major problems with it. It's the very beginning and the very end. Right. I wish those were handled differently. Everything in the middle is great. I think it does exactly what it needs to do. So there was good meat in the sandwich. Oh, yeah. The bread was just God, a little burnt. Why are you bringing up the bread situation? <laughs> the bread's my most important part of the sandwich. If it's a little over burnt, it's not like the worst thing in the world. You could, It's still an edible sandwich. This is not my metaphor. <laughs> um, but everything in the middle of the movie, and not even the middle, past the first 10 minutes and within the last five minutes is fantastic. I think all of it works very well. It's a great sci-fi thriller. It's a great action movie. Groundhog's Day scenario. Some unexpected comedy in here, too. Yeah. The amount of times we see Tom Cruise dying is funny. And Cruise himself, as we said earlier, is the one that said, that's what is going to make this work, that you ha- you can't ignore the humor. <laughs> you have to lean into it. Yeah. When he goes to try and escape and he, like, rolls over and gets yeah. run over by the by the Humvee, <laughs> you hear him, like, scream. And then, like, Bill Paxton just, like, looks at him. He's like, dear God, son, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, so you, this is definitely one Groundhog Day. Oh, it's Groundhog Day? It is Groundhog Day. It's not Groundhog's Day? Nah, the Groundhog doesn't own the day. But it's his day. It's a day for him. It's like President's Day. Nah, it's, it's Groundhog not, Day. It's it's Well, I guess President's is plural. It's S apostrophe, isn't it? Yeah. It's like Valentine's Day. That's singular. Yeah, because that's St. Valentine's Day. Yeah, Groundhog's Day. Eh. Oh, fucking day. Whatever. I don't give a shit. It's Groundhog Day. Fine. Um, yeah, the Groundhog does not own the day, though. All right, whatever. Um, what were we saying? Um, you were talking about... Anyway, great action movie. Whatever. <laughs> uh, definitely check it out. I wish they would make a sequel to this. Hopefully that TV series is related. And if it's not, then fuck it. Let's do another one. Whatever. Yeah, it's do like a what, new uh, what they did with uh, that Snowpiercer. Yeah. Make it weird and more Japanese this time. Yeah, lean into it. Yeah, totally lean into it. <laughs> but I, that's pretty much it for us, you guys. What movie are we doing next week, Birdo, actually? Oblivion. Oblivion 2014 also? I yeah, think. not not the, the Elder Scrolls video game. The, uh, the Tom Cruise movie. Oblivion is available on HBO Max, so... There you go. And also on Prime in Canada. And Prime in Canada. So you are you can watch it before uh, we sit down and talk about it if you want to play along at home, basically. Other than that, thank you for listening. And thank you for subscribing on your podcast app. Thank you to that piano dude for our musical intro. Make sure you leave a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Please tell a friend. And if you told a friend, thank you so much for telling a friend. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Films from the Phantom Zone. You can find us to argue with us on Twitter at Films from PZ. We're at TikTok at Films from PZ. All these episodes are available on YouTube if that's how you like listening to your podcasts. 
And if you want to hang out with us while we make the show, we stream all these episodes on Twitch on twitch.tv slash filmfrompz. We hang out with a lot of people on the chat. They distract us in the most fun way all night long while we record the show. So if you want to be a part of the show, if you want to fact check us with correct or alternate facts, you can do that. Um, we've got Philly to the J here in the chat. The man named John was here earlier. Caleb. Caleb, my good friend, BB Cato. Um, who else was here? I think that's everybody. At least anybody that spoke. Matters. <laughs> spoke, yeah. Matters, my God. <laughs> everybody uh, matters. So if you want to be like them, hang out with us here live on the stream while we record the show. Monday nights, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. And then when we're not uh, recording a podcast, we are streaming a video game. So playing a video game, just chatting with the group. I just bought Mario Kart, so maybe we'll do a Birio Kart tournament. I thought Ooh. about doing that on the stream. Can we do it with the N64 one? Are you going to bring your N64 and your multiple ways of hooking that up to an HDMI? Ah, fucking A. Uh, <laughs> it's available on Switch, sort of. Actually, um, it is available on Switch. It is? Yeah, it's on, on the, the N64 thing. Oh, cool. I just got to get you on my family do, plan. All we got to do is do that. We yeah. can do that. Yeah, 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 so we'll be doing all kinds of shit on Twitch. Uh, so Monday nights, join us there. If you want to support the show, you can do that on Patreon, Films from the Phantom Zone, where you could get our exclusive second podcast, Where's Mephisto? Where we watch whatever's streaming, and maybe we'll find Mephisto. He's got to be in there somewhere, people. He's pulling all the strings. He's behind. He's the, he's the puppet master. So The devil's in the details. The devil's in the details, guys. Otherwise, if you want to talk to us all week long, also, we have a Discord server. That's linked below. So much fun. A lot of great conversations. DC, Marvel, Star Wars, theories, memes, all in there. We just had the Discord uh, refurbished a little bit, too. So it's a little more organized. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's ready for more people, basically. Yeah. So check us out there, too. Other than that, I think that's everything. And we will see you next week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Oh, my God, my fucking throat. Keeping that in.